Thank you for stopping by at the Movie Marquee. Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. Quiet on set. Places, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the Movie Marquee. Today's episode, we are going to be reviewing the 2013 release by Martin Scorsese entitled The Wolf of Wall Street. With me, as always, is Ken. And, of course, Ted. Eric, how the fuck else are you supposed to do this job? Cocaine and hookers. And me, your faithful host, Eric, and there's no nobility in poverty. Ken, what do you got for me on the particulars for this one? The Wolf of Wall Street was released on December 17th of 2013. It has a running time of 180 minutes. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. Screenplay by Terrence Winter. And is based on The Wolf of Wall Street by Jordan Belfort. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio as Jordan, Jonah Hill as Danny, Margot Robbie as Naomi, Kyle Chandler as FBI agent Patrick Denham, Rob Reiner as Max, John Benthrall as Brad, Matthew McConaughey as Mark, and John Favreau as Manny. It's a pretty impressive cast, if I do say so myself. Ken, what did the critics think of this one? So The Wolf of Wall Street received 79% on the tomato meter. Critics' consensus is funny, self-referential, and irrelevant to a fault. The Wolf of Wall Street finds Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio at their most infectiously dynamic. Some of the reviews here. Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian says The Wolf of Wall Street does not quite have the subtlety and richness of Scorsese's very best work, but what an incredibly exhilarating film. A deafening and sustained howl of depravity. It's Nothing four, but big words. Four out of five, yes, big right. words. Leonard Malton says, Without a moral center, Wolf seems to revel in this cornucopia of bad behavior. He gave it a 2.1 score out of five. He didn't like it. That's really? crazy. That's What's up, Leonard Moulton? Leonard Moulton yeah. all of a sudden got old and cranky, I guess. Guess so. Betsy Sharkey at the Los Angeles Times says, Man, this movie has a savage bite. Christopher Orr of the Atlantic says, The Wolf of Wall Street is magnificent black comedy, fast, funny, and remarkably filthy. Elisa Wilkerson of Christianity Today says, Oh, this is going to be a great one, I bet. Belfort is in the wrong, that's for sure. But to walk away and not realize we're at least a little complicit too would be foolhardy. She gave it a 3.5 out of 4. Her review has nothing to do with the movie. It's on his personality. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of weird. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. I, I was expecting him to just rip it to shreds. Interesting indeed. But that's what I have for the reviews of The Wolf of Wall Street. Thank you there, Hen. Ted, what do you got for the plot of this one? Looking forward to it. In 1987, Jordan Belfort lands a job as a Wall Street stockbroker for L.F. Rothschild, employed under Mark Hanna. He is quickly enticed into the drug-fueled stockbroker culture and Hanna's belief that a broker's only goal is to make money for himself. 
Jordan loses his job following Black Monday, the largest one-day stock market drop in history, and takes a job at a boiler room brokerage firm on Long Island that specializes in penny stocks. Thanks to his aggressive pitching style and the high commissions, Jordan makes a small fortune. Jordan befriends his neighbor, Donnie Azoff, and the two found their own company. They recruit several of Jordan's friends, whom Jordan trains on the art of the hard sell. Jordan's tactics and salesmanship largely contribute to the success of his pump-and-dump scheme, which involves inflating the price of a stock through issuing misleading positive statements in order to sell it at an artificially augmented price. When the perpetrators of the scheme sell their overvalued securities, the price drops immensely and those who were conned into buying at the inflated price are left with stock that is suddenly worth much less than what they paid. To cloak this, Jordan gives the firm the respectable-sounding name Stratton Oakmont. After an expose in Forbes, hundreds of ambitious young financiers took flock to his company. Jordan becomes immensely successful and slides into a decadent lifestyles of prostitutes and drugs. He has an affair with a woman named Naomi LaPaglia, who, when his wife finds out, Jordan divorces her and marries Naomi in 1991. Meanwhile, the SEC and the FBI begin investigating Stratton Oakmont. In 1993, Jordan illegally makes $22 million in three hours upon securing the IPO of Steve Madden. This brings him and his firm further to the attention of the FBI. To hide his money, Jordan opens a Swiss bank account with corrupt banker Jean-Jacques Soriel in the name of Naomi's Aunt Emma, who is a British national and thus outside the reach of American authorities. He uses the wife and in-laws of his best friend Brad Bodnick, who have European passports, to smuggle the cash into Switzerland. Donnie and Brad get into a public brawl. Donnie escapes, but Brad is arrested. Brad does not say a word about Donnie or Jordan to the police. Jordan learns from his private investigator that the FBI is wiretapping his phones. Fearing for his son, Jordan's father advises him to leave Stratton, Oakmont, and lie low while Jordan's lawyer negotiates a deal to keep him out of prison. Jordan, however, cannot bear to quit and talks himself into staying in the middle of his farewell speech. In 1996, Jordan, Donnie, and their wives are on a yacht to Italy when they learn that Aunt Emma has died of a heart attack. Jordan decides to travel to Switzerland immediately to settle the bank account. To bypass border controls, he orders his yacht captain to sail to Monaco, but the ship capsizes in a storm. After their rescue, the plane sent to take them to Geneva is destroyed when a seagull flies into the engine. Jordan takes this as a sign from God and decides to sober up. Two years later, the FBI arrests Jordan because Soriel, arrested in Florida on an unrelated charge, has informed the FBI on Jordan. Since the evidence against him is overwhelming, Jordan agrees to gather evidence on his colleagues in exchange for leniency. At home, Naomi tells Jordan she is divorcing him and wants full custody of their daughter and infant son. In an impulse, cocaine-fueled rage, Jordan assaults Naomi and tries to drive away with his daughter before crashing his car in the driveway. Later on, Jordan wears a wire to work but slips a note to Donnie warning him. The FBI discovers this, arrests Jordan, and raids and shuts down Stratton Oakmont. Despite breaching his deal, Jordan receives a reduced sentence of 36 months in a minimum security prison for his testimony and is released after serving 22 months. 
After his release, Jordan makes a living hosting seminars on sales techniques. And that is the plot of The Wolf of Wall Street. Well, thank you for that incisive plot there, Ted. Ken, when uh, was the first time you saw The Wolf of Wall Street? Ted had called me up and said, hey, you want to come over and, and chill? I'm like, sure, Ted. Why not? Let's hang out and just be buds and stuff. And uh, he sits me down and he's like, I got this movie for us to watch. And I'm like, great, let's watch it. And so we started watching it and I did not know that I was basically watching porn. With That's, Ted, mind you. Yeah, mind with, with Ted. Yeah, mind you. This. So the first I, time I, I watched this I was I plead Ted. the fifth. I'm like sitting there watching it with him and I'm just waiting for his wife or kid to come by. And it's like, no. well, that brings up an interesting story. I'm going to think it's probably not the first time Ted has seen it. I saw it opening night on Christmas Day. I went Merry with, Christmas to you, right? Exactly. I went with my wife and her half-brother and sister. Her brother okay. and sister. Not it too was, awkward. Yeah, no, family was, thing. Sure. Well, they were all of age. It's okay. Um, I would hope so. Yeah, no, we weren't like sneaking in like Sneak 12 in with into, the, into the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Michelle's sister is a cinephile like us, and she's wonderful. She actually does podcasting, editing, and everything professionally. So she wanted to see this movie, too. And, of course, this was everything that I wanted it to be and more. It just so happened it opened on Christmas. Christmas is on a Wednesday. Michelle's mom, always on Christmas Day, always had everything early in the day. So late that afternoon, early evening, we're like, what do we want to do? So let's go see a movie. So we went and saw The Wolf of Wall Street. How about you, Eric? Cool. I saw it on video, man. I rented it, probably from Redbox. I saw it with my wife, and that's about it. Wasn't really exactly sure what to expect when it came out. Definitely was eye-opening. Oh, I had been Mm. anticipating this movie for months. Ted brought his binoculars just to watch this movie. I I relished getting this movie's opening. It's it's Marty, and Ken had mentioned all the people that are in the movie. I left a lot of people out. There's a lot of people that were left out, but this was Marty and, and, of course, Leo and Matthew McConaughey. I mean, come on. This is a surefire, right up my alley type of deal. There's no doubt about that. Like I said, I had been t- anticipating it for months. I believe it is Scorsese's highest grossing movie to date. Nominated for uh, several Academy Awards, few wins. Deservedly. The movie made $392 million on a $100 million budget. That's a really big budget for a movie that doesn't have a lot of special effects. Especially because Jonah Hill took the SAG minimum of $600,000 to make the movie. Yeah. Just to work with Martin Scorsese. Yeah. He wanted to work with Martin and uh, and Leo. Think about all the locations this movie was filmed in. There's no, no CG, obviously. A lot of rentals, boat rentals. It just adds up, man. And the salaries, of course. It's a great movie. Well, this, this is there's this Ted's is review. Easy... It's a great movie. How about you, Ken? We'll wrap it up early. <laughs> this is <laughs> one of those movies that we really don't have to sit and think too hard about, about why it made $330 million. That's true. No, that's clear. We, we and... know with a cast like this and the plot, it is definitely a movie that was bound to be successful. And obviously, it has some controversies involving some of its uh, subject matter. expletives. Subject matter is a little on the uh, gray side, for, for lack of a better word here. I think anyone who's listening to this podcast has hopefully seen this movie and knows kind of where we're going at. There is a, as Ken said, it's a borderline porn flick. It's got a lot of nudity. It's got a lot of swearing. I believe it held the record with Guinness Book for most swears in a movie. I don't know if it still holds that record, but that's pretty impressive. The fact that it stayed away from like an NC-17 rating is kind of amazing. Well, the first cut of the movie did. 
get NC-17. I would love to see the first cut of this thing. The, seven hours uh, long? What the heck? Right. What they had to do to get the R rating. In the scene where Naomi and Jordan's butler is having the gay party. Oh, yes. What they had to do to Ooh. get the R rating. They had to go into the lobby of a hotel and film a chair that they could then superimpose into the scene to cut out one of the male guys in the scenes, his genitals. Otherwise, it would have gotten the NC-17. But it was that scene in particular that they had a problem with. Because, you know, the MPAA, being <laughs> the paragons of virtue in movies, they have usually one thing. This is what set it over the top. And that's the scene that they had an issue with, I guess. Not Leonardo Caprio's butt. Exactly, right? There's a lot of other things that are a lot more questionable but i i guess you don't see a whole lot in modern movies of actual male on male sex i mean it's understandable that, that it initially got that but it's interesting always to me what the mpaa targets in every one of these instances it's kind of funny you would think it would be like the sex scenes with like the hooker i say hooker i should hookers but the, oh, there's the a different different class yeah, the one they call the skank he, class yeah, he so. classifies every class yes. of, of hookers yes. no, yeah. this is the, the blue chip the nasdaq right yeah the nasdaq yeah. and then the penny sheets right so. <laughs> mm -hmm. these guys lived it man they were the bad boys of wall street they fueled wall street in the late 80s and early 90s and even up until 2008 mm -hmm. because even the tech crash at the end of the 90s didn't really stop these people the only thing that really stopped them was the introduction of the hedge fund i think they're called otcs over the counters because that's what stratton oakmont was that really put a stop to them because with Wall Street, everything's about the new and shiny toy and the hedge funds were the new and shiny toy. And that's where everybody was pumping their money into. These guys like Stratton Oakmont, the actual sales of stock, it hasn't died, but it's not what it was in the early 90s when Jordan Belfort was getting himself in Forbes magazine. And Interesting thing about that Forbes magazine is it actually wasn't titled The Wolf of Wall Street. It was titled something completely different, but they used a fake title in The Wolf of Wall Street. The actual article in Forbes magazine was called Stakes, Stocks, What's the Difference? by Rula Kalaf, and it debuted in Forbes magazine the October 14th, 1991 issue. Yeah, they never called him the Wolf of Wall Street. That's a, actually a nickname that... He gave himself? He gave himself along with the real-life person who was Donnie. His name is Danny. But after that article, it was a hit piece. And he thought he was ruined until that Monday after the Forbes article ran. The amount of people in the waiting room to interview for a job, they were out the door. Like his wife in the movie says, there's no such thing as bad press. And this gave him multiple number of people applying because everybody wanted to make money. I mean, we're still in the era of greed is good. Right. I love the, the lady that plays his HR person and you know, tells them all to like back up. If you want a job, yeah. you come see me. I, I liked her. And right. then she was, I wish it was more of her because every time she was on the screen, I thought I just loved her personality. She was a tough lady. Well, one of the things that I thought was really cool, and I guess it, it borderlines on the real too, is Jordan didn't discriminate against having women on his sales staff. If you could sell and you could make money, you were there. He didn't care. Hell, he probably didn't know how many people he had on the payroll. Doubt it. 
<laughs> I was watching something because it makes him seem like he knows everybody and that everybody adores him. But I was watching videos of him making his speeches. You know, people treat him like he's just like a regular CEO. You know, some people really care less about him. And then you have the people that love him. It wasn't like a love fest like I think the movie makes it out to be. He is kind of a douche. I wonder how good of a person he was to the people that were around him. Do they idolize him that much? It depends on who you ask, I guess. I would imagine so. It seems like a lot of his relationships are transactional. Completely uh, transactional, absolutely. Yeah. We don't get to hear about what happened to these people either. After, I mean, we, we see some getting arrested, but we don't know if any of these people actually served. Yeah, time. they did. Donnie, actually. I'm surprised they didn't show him going to jail, because he actually went to jail, too. Yeah, he's just sitting there in the office crying, but they don't actually show him being like taken away like everybody else. I wish this movie would have done what other movies do, like this person served 18 months in federal prison, but they didn't do any of that. Right. They only talk about Jordan, and then the last thing you see about Jordan is Jordan is giving a motivational speech, which he's introduced to everybody by the real Jordan. That was a nice little throw in there. Leonardo DiCaprio, who does a great job here, makes him likable up to a certain point. Like a likable ass, if you will. I think somebody yeah. said it was like a likable anti-hero. That's kind of the American idea, isn't it? Where we do tend to like these people who are kind of like damn the man type of people, even know that they are trash human beings. But he's thumbing his nose at the establishment by what he did. That's kind of the American thing. The American public loves people like that. And for whatever reason, everybody thinks that they have the abilities. Oh, if given the opportunity, that could be me in the Hamptons with a helicopter and a 170-foot yacht. You know what I mean? Good in some sense, but it's really bad because people like Jordan can take advantage of that. And he is. He's a brilliant salesperson. As far as being likable, he's as detestable as they come. That era of Wall Street who these people were. I mean, you look at Milken and guys like that who served time for insider trading in the 80s. These were people who cheated to get to the top, and nobody really said a word. But they're magnetic personalities. That's why he's doing motivational speaking down in Australia now. Consider that a low point, though. I mean, obviously, he's barred from trading for life. To do motivational speaking, I consider that just low, low. I don't know if he does. Have you guys ever had a job interview where the individual across the table conducting the interview did that sell me this pen bit? Uh-uh. I have. Yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Sell me this pen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Was that before or after the movie? But You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Probably right around that time period. If I had a company dependent upon sales, I would think about having my salespeople listen to somebody like Jordan Belfort. He's resurrected he himself. Yeah, he took penny stocks and turned them into gold by just manipulating the process. This should have been an indicator, but in the late 90s, when I fell into the industry, it was subprime mortgages. All right? Oh, boy. When I first started there, the manager of the office, me and three other guys that started there, made us watch Glengarry Glen Ross. <laughs> nice. Dead serious. I'd never <laughs> seen it before. He's like, I want you to watch this movie. Cool. We watched it. I was like, oh. Okay. Concession stands are just right down yeah, the hall. Yeah. It was very odd. 
but he was looking at it from a motivational, not the fraudulent side. Of course, in the end, AmeriQuest is a very fraudulent company. Are they still around? Trying... Oh, no, they're long gone. It's a special breed to be able to mm-hmm. be a salesman. Very, very much. And I think you're right by saying that Jordan being a motivational speaker, it does work because it does change people's approaches on how to sell certain things. And the pen question probably is a very good question, how to sell this pen. And I do like the answer about supply and demand, making it important to them to have that pen. You have to give them a reason to want that pen. When I was selling car insurance, that's what my broker was trying to push on me. You need to convince them that they need this and why they need this. Because if they don't think they need it, they're always going to tell you no. Never take no for an answer. Pretty much what it was. He, he made me call him back, be like, did you compare your apples to apples and oranges and oranges to what they have? I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. It does take a special breed to do sales. And I think that's one of the most attractive things about this movie is that you literally fall in love with him as an anti-hero, kind of an, an asshole character who you know he's in it just for the money and he's in it just to really take care of himself and take care of his close inner circle. But even that starts to fall apart towards the end. One of the articles I read said he was doing 23 drugs at one point. He said the depiction of him in the movie for the drug use wasn't even close. They underplayed it, yeah. Underplayed that that part of it. That's insane. The man's still alive, too. That's crazy. That is insane. The fact that he says that he no longer does drugs makes me question that because of how much Mm. drugs he did. He might. I mean, he very possibly could have gotten himself clean. Possibly so, but if it's true about the part when his wife wants to divorce him and then he goes and he's got coke stashed in one of the mattresses. That's not surprising at all. In the couch? Yeah, in the couch. That's not. That's one of the least surprising things about that whole scene. Mm. But he says that he's like two years sober and all that. So that tells me if he did that then, you probably have a way to get to it now if something were to go in the wrong direction. You know, I'm not saying that he hasn't changed. I mean, if you see him on some of these interviews, though, I mean, he seems that he's on something. Well, some of these salespeople, too, that the Jordan Belfort type. He reminds me of McAfee. Yeah, exactly. Their engine runs hot to begin with. I can't remember what show I was watching. I think it could have been Narcos, where they explain where cocaine for some people, actually, if you're hyper like that, where your engine's always running hot. It's going to slow you down. It slows you down and brings things center. That's like what Mark Hanna tells Jordan Belfort when they're having lunch. It centers some people as mind-blowing as that can be. Yeah, he said keeps them sharp. Keeps them sharp between the ears. And those guys... They made the Cali cartel untold billions of dollars in cocaine sales. A huge chunk of everything that went on. It was Caligula-type levels of debauchery. That's what this that movie It's not even yeah. close to Caligula. But you know what I mean? Like, what these Wall Street guys were doing in the late 80s and 90s, it was debauchery unlike things we haven't seen in hundreds of years. These guys lived everything and consumed it at such levels. I mean, they had $26,000 meal. I I love that scene. Yeah. That's what these guys were doing because one, there's the money is there and pretty much unregulated because Reagan and Carter had deregulated a lot of these things and the money just flowed like cocaine and alcohol. 
Let's kind of talk about some of the characters here. Let's build on that and we can move into some of these great scenes in this movie. The characters themselves, it's incredible. It's an incredible list of talent. That's awesome that you're going to go here because that's what makes this movie is all of the different characters that come and go in and out of Jordan's life. That's why I say most of his relationships are transactional. He has all of these people that come in and out and they're all magnificently interesting. One of my favorite scenes is really the opening 10 minutes when he is having lunch with Matthew McConaughey. Right. At the new job. I mean, that scene alone is just incredible. McConaughey is, is just such an incredible actor. Really, in that scene, obviously, DiCaprio was almost like a supporting actor. That is all McConaughey. Oh, yeah. All McConaughey. McConaughey was coming off of Dallas Spires Club that yeah. time. Yeah, another was, great movie. Because yes. you could see that he still had the weight very loss. Very thin. It's very yes. thin. So we talk about him and we're talking about the... Uh, that was all McConaughey. He, that was all his McConaughey. warm-up, his voice warm-up to prepare for a scene. And Leonardo DiCaprio saw that and he was like, we should incorporate that in the scene and use it. It, it just works. I, in fact, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is them doing that. Right. I really like this character that he does because when you have Jordan saying, oh, it's about making money for the customers. And he's like, no, you know, it's about making money. <laughs> for you it's we get cold hard cash you take their money and you put it somewhere else so they never see it they're rich on paper but they're not physically rich i loved how he presented that it was almost like ad lib blowed off his tongue perfectly they flowed together extremely well in that scene He's one of my favorite characters. And as a side note, quote unquote, their lunch, where he basically said, feed me martinis until I pass out. Right, right. That meeting between Jordan and Mark Hanna actually took place in the eyes on the world at the top of the World Trade Center. I have became a McConaughey fan over the last few years. Originally, he didn't press me much. It was more of these pretty boy, fly-by type of movies, like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, those type of flicks. But I think so. Dollars by club really changed how we look at him and i'm really appreciative of what he did in that particular movie that actually really prepared us for a real actor here i just think he brings this character to life i mean we are introduced to him on the floor and he's going back and forth with that other broker and they're just trading barbs and insults back and forth it's just a lot of fun interesting that it was 9 29 when they walked in and, and starts talking with the guy who tells him that he's a low life and, and it's 9 29 for about four or five minutes <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> finally, it turns 9.30 when Matthew McConaughey says it's 9.30. So right. I'm sitting here going, looking at the clock, and it's like, it's still 9.29. How long is this minute going? Crazy. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And the movie starts off with bang right in your face with a lot of this drug and sex and everything to prepare you for what's to come. And then it, it backs off a little bit and gives you a little backstory. And it, very interesting to see what would have happened if we didn't have that crash. Hmm. on the first day what if he became this wolf of wall street or whatever he would like to call himself it's a great opening part i would have liked to seen what happened to mark Hanna. probably jumped out the window the last time you see him he's on the phone he's like holy you know yeah that's because the the market shut down stopped the bleeding they actually closed the market but we don't know what actually after he says that whatever happened to him does he bounce back i I would like to know a little bit more because he sets jordan on his path and it would be interesting to find out if he also ended up face down in the gutter basically well a guy like mark hand is not going to go the penny stock route i mean let's be honest he probably blew his head off 
or jumped out a window, lost everything. Margins or he got were, a job at Goldman Sachs. Which then eventually probably jumped out a window or blew his head off. DiCaprio, we've already talked about how wonderful he is. He makes Jordan very likable. You don't hate Jordan really at any time until he probably you see him punch Naomi. His wife. Up until then, you're forgiving him for everything. But once he hits her, that changes the ball game. But up to then, you're kind of rooting for him to even do more than what he's already done, which is really wrong. Well, the relationship between DiCaprio and, and Jonah Hill, Donnie, is a very interesting relationship <laughs> between these guys. Donnie is practically playing your New York stereotype, Long Island sleazeball, for lack of a better word. And he was nominated for Best Supporting, wasn't he? Or did he win that? Yeah, he was nominated for Best Supporting. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. The chops he has, Jonah Hill has really made a name for himself in acting. Moneyball phenomenal in that just a whole bunch of movies the group of people just these i want to say losers but this group of just sleazy people that are all getting together to just rip people off it is a great group they work so well together in this I guess group is a bunch of people that he knew. You know, the way they introduced Donnie and Jordan d- didn't really happen. They didn't meet in a restaurant. Uh, Jordan's wife introduced Donnie to him. There wasn't a $75,000 check to show to quit his job. Th- that stuff didn't happen. I actually read that that did happen. The real Donnie, he says it didn't happen like it does in the movie, but Jordan did show him a $72,000 pay stub and that's what him caused him to quit him to quit his job yeah that's one of the things that he disputes but it wasn't but, at yeah, the restaurant they already no knew it wasn't each at other. a restaurant it was i think at their apartment building if i remember the article correctly i have to admit i'm not the biggest jonah hill fan i really never really have been but this movie he does hit it out of the ballpark and he does a great job of being part imbecile at sometimes so being very smart it's just a really nice balance some of the things he does is married to his cousin first you know, cousin I'm, i married my first cousin because if anybody is going to you know have sex with her it's going to be me because you know i have that right because i'm her cousin <laughs> so yeah. he's, he's trying to justify it's... marrying his cousin because he doesn't think anybody else is good enough for his cousin right yeah, except for him and then they were talking about what the odds of the kid you know growing up like 60 percent yeah and he's just like uh yeah i'll take it out of the middle of nowhere and just drop it he's like nah i'm just kidding we'll, we'll yeah. take it to the institution you really wonder though i mean donnie is a crazy character but he's also one of the most reckless characters one of my favorite donnie things that made me laugh was where they were talking about the entertainment bill and they're like all the stuff that they ordered and they're like oh yeah we spent this much money on appetizers and ryan was like what does these sides cure cancer and he goes yeah they cure cancer they actually did yeah (laughs) that's i just loved it and i love the back and forth i mean you could see that donnie's character was actually being very playful he wasn't being stupid he wasn't being dumb he was actually trying to rile oh yeah i think they all got a kick out of making jordan's dad explode also watching reiner i know you love rob reiner in this film i love rob reiner in this film if anybody's saying f-bombs or anything like that more <laughs> it's probably reiner more than anybody but the interaction between him going back and forth with jonah hill and that scene i'm just laughing i mean this is it's great trick. watching meathead just flip out it's great Like I said before, this is my second favorite Rob Reiner. My first favorite Rob Reiner is, of course, Meathead. I can't think of another role that he's done that I enjoy him so much in this movie. Rob Reiner's not the only director that's in the movie, because then you have Jordan's lawyer is... John Favreau. Played by Jean Favreau. Yeah. Who is great in this, too. Oh. He's himself in this movie as well. And funny enough, his real lawyer in real life ended up being the lawyer for Bernie Madoff. 
Ah. And we'll get and, to all of that after a while. Interesting thing about the directors, Steven Spielberg was actually on the set and actually helped co-direct the scene where Jordan is giving that motivational speech when they're trying to bring in the, the mad Madden shoes. Madden Man. shoes, yes. When, yeah. they, when he's bringing in the Madden shoes, Spielberg was there to kind of give pointers and give direction and stuff. Marty says that Steven is kind of like a co-director of that scene. That's a good collaboration right there. We talked about this before. These directors are tight. They're friends. They respect each other's work. And it's not going to be surprising to have one of them show up on the set. They're not threatened by each other. That's what I like about these relationships with Scorsese and Spielberg. They're not threatened with each other. They're happy for each other's success. And they're there to support each other. And I think that's... Yeah. That says a lot about Marty and, and some of these other directors of this generation, these great directors. If they're in competition, it's a friendly competition. They want cool. each one to do excel in their own movies. I mean, that's why they were there to give him the award. I think that was a real thing with the directors being there to give him that award for The Departed. That's the type of relationships they truly have. No, that's um, exactly what they have. And you were talking about your favorite thing that Donnie does. And this was real. And the real life Donnie doesn't dispute this. He actually ate a live goldfish. Not so out of the ordinary. And that's, I know it's very unsurprising. Seafood. And, yeah, yeah. It, that made me laugh. It still makes me laugh. Then when he pees on the subpoena, then he kicks the hit the trash can over. And everybody's the like, what? The only uncomfortable scene is where he whips out his penis um, to whack the off. The prosthetic, yes. Yeah, it's a prosthetic. We looked that yeah. up just to make yeah. sure. But yeah, when he sees Naomi, it's like perfect. And his, his wife is like, what are you doing? And he's, What are you doing? Yeah, and yeah. he's just whacking off. Can you off imagine being so effed up that you... Just don't care. Natural man. You have no inhibition whatsoever because you're so screwed up. You've essentially tied up that little voice in your head that says you probably shouldn't do that. Steve Madden. (laughs) Right? Steve. 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 Oh, the quaalude scene is the best. Ten-year-old quaaludes when they kick in. <laughs> oh, that whole scene. That now, I mean, granted, that thing was like a half hour by itself. That probably went a little bit too long. No, it uh, didn't. but it was still it was still funny though. And- <laughs> When I saw it the first time, I almost had an accident. I was laughing so hard. I don't know why it makes me laugh so hard, but it just does. The ultimate punchline of that whole scene is the next morning when he's arrested and he goes out and he sees his Lambo. Is this your car? (laughs) Right? You made it home okay. (laughs) What are you talking about? I've been home all night. Like before the Quaaludes took into effect, they're downstairs working out on the (laughs) treadmill. Take another. That's awesome. Always a bad idea. If you're not feeling it, don't take more. That means it's coming, and then you're just going to make it all the more worse. Honey on the phone with Switzerland. Go straight to the drool face. The whole inner monologue of Jordan being like, well, I'm not going to be able to crawl down the steps. I'm going to roll. Like my baby. Oh, right. And it's like five steps, but it looks like it's like 20 steps. Leonardo DiCaprio got hurt during that scene. They only could get one take out of it because he actually injured himself doing all the stuff that he was trying to do to get to the car. Crazy. Yeah, it was Leonardo DiCaprio's idea to open the door with his foot. Marty gave a lot of the actors free reign to do whatever, whatever they wanted. The actors are enjoying themselves doing Definitely. This. You have a lot of comedians, like one of his cohorts is Henry Zabrowski, and he has his own really successful podcast, The Last Podcast on the Left, and he plays Sea Otter. A lot of those guys that are part of his crew, they're comedians. 
mm-hmm. or they've done comedy work. I had read somewhere where directors like to put comedians in roles, the smaller roles like that, because they know how to elevate themselves to get the most out of a small period of time that they're on the screen as they can. And all of those guys do. We said that about Albert Brooks and the taxi driver. Right. Yeah. The comedian that can take a small little role and make it more than what it was initially supposed to be. All I know is uh, you don't have an Amish Buddhist. That is so awesome. And I just keep saying it, but Ming is one of my favorite characters too. He's so funny. He's so dumb. When he's being um, questioned by cops, he's like, I don't recall. I have right. I don't recall. You can eat that? You can finish that? (laughs) Do you have any milk? Is that Danish? Yeah. It's just Uh, great. It seemed out of place for him, though, to hit the uh, butler, though. It seemed weird that he was the one Just out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He hit the butler, and then Ethan Supley, who plays one of the other guys, and John Berthanol. We all know Ethan Supley from Kevin Smith movies. Yep. The Schooner. Uh, It's a Schooner. Schooner. John Berthanol got really noticed with The Walking Dead, and he was on the first couple of seasons of that. And then he's branched out, and he's become a really good actor. One of the best roles I've seen him in recently, he played Lee Iacocca in Ford vs. Ferrari. Oh, really that's a good great that movie. movie. The whole cast, they all come together, and like what you were saying, Ken, that there's a lot of freedom. We're right in the high point of marty and leo's relationship where he trusts leo enough to be able to go off script kind of like the relationship that marty had with de niro and going into some of the other characters here i believe this was margot robbie's first main movie yes and she, she made a pretty good splash in this one I yes she so did myself yes she did she was very nervous about the nude scenes no, she, I would be too. she yeah. ended up having to drink three shots even to do it and she was even lying to her family about her face was transposed On onto body. another yeah, body I, I read that too that's sad yeah. she shouldn't have ever felt pressured to do it i think someone like her i think let your imagination flows but they left nothing in the imagination when it came to you know showing her nope. body or anybody's body in this particular movie and we got to see pretty much everything but like you said you don't think she was pressured but at the same time i think there's a pressure that she probably put on herself probably to do it i think you would still have a great movie here if you had less of the nudity that was in this movie what i think doesn't make it egregious when the moment that you get uncomfortable there's always something funny that comes right close to it to ease that tension. That's a good and point. And it never has made me uncomfortable. If we're talking about the, the one particular scene, the most famous scene, where he goes up to her apartment and then she comes out naked, it's then played immediately by Jordan Belfort saying, well, yeah, I had sex with her for 15 seconds. And then, and then you had the dog the, nipping at the him. The dog. That's why I don't think that it's egregious. And one of the other great scenes is... After they've had the fight and she's telling him that he's not going to be able to touch her. Right as that gets it at its most uncomfortable, Jordan looks back and he points to the nanny cam. And so it's played off for a while. Because she's saying, mommy doesn't want to wear right. panties anymore. This is what you're going to see me wearing more and more often. And then, of course, with the camera, you have those two security right. guards. They're, they're uh, laughing their butt off. Right. They're the same name, too. Rocco and Rocco. Those two scenes are played off as funny and they're jokey. When everything is going okay for Jordan, the time where it doesn't feel okay anymore and it really got uncomfortable, and I think it's purposefully done, is the last time they have sex. She initially says no, 
and he keeps pushing it. And it borderlines on that marital rape, and then immediately that's when he loses it with her and hits her. And that's when everything has come apart for Jordan. Because even in that scene, she had full control. Right. It's no longer funny anymore. Well, the rest of the movie is no longer funny anymore. The rest of the movie is the serious term. We don't see anything funny about this movie ever again his life is circling the drain at that point i mean that leads to the fight and him hitting her and then after hitting her taking the kid into the car and getting to the accident where it almost looks like the kid almost hits their head oh right doesn't they also played off it as it being all him well she also took over a bat and she smashed in the window and she's going after him so there's got to be blame well, on that's a, that side, too. That's a mom trying to protect her child. That's mama bear type of instinct. I think any mom would do that. I know my wife would do the same thing if sure, somebody was I mean, trying they, to kidnap her daughter. It wasn't daughter. like she was totally innocent of the matter. To no, set him she up. probably pushed him, but he Did? punches her in the stomach. That's he, after, after being threatened to take the kid away from him and, yeah. and divorcing and all that stuff. But, I mean, we see that throughout the whole film. She kind of says, look at this. You're not going to get this for a long time. She gives him reason to get upset. I mean, she throws the oh, water in gives... his face five times. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I I love that scene too. That, but even that's played off as jokey. Yeah, it's not until the end where it gets really uncomfortable because even the throwing the water, that's all still jokey, and it doesn't very jokey. It doesn't feel like it's abuse until the end. It just feels bad. They play it off as trying to be as a normal thing for them. Oh, this is our fight. This is our makeup time. This is just how things are. My wife's going to accuse me of something. Um, She's going to get mad, and we're going to make up. She knows what kind of life he's living. Nobody can be that naive to know what he's doing. I mean, he almost crashes his helicopter outside because he's so messed up on Quaaludes. She knows what's going on. Is he the only pilot in the helicopter? There's another real pilot, but he's actually at the controls. I would have knocked his ass out and then drove the helicopter home. Some of the stuff I don't, I'm questioning if he actually... Yeah, that really happened. He almost killed himself in his helicopter. You think about all the great musicians that have died in a helicopter crash... And you're like, and this asshole somehow he skates away being high on quaaludes and almost crashes his own helicopter and lives. This is a theme, though, with Martin Scorsese in his movies. There's the rise and then there's the fall. Yep. And he does this in... All of his great movies, Goodfellas, Henry Hill starts off. I mean, everything is fine and happy, and then cocaine hits. Martin has something with cocaine. He must know something about what cocaine did to people. Like even Casino, everything's okay, then the cocaine hits, and it's all downhill. I'm sure it's it's very similar to what really happens to people's lives. I mean, you can see what the effects of that culture have had on people. They used uh, vitamin B tablets. That's a crap load of vitamin B. Snorted up vitamin B. I think it was B6 or B12. That's a lot of vitamin B. That's a lot of vitamin B. Jonah Hill got sick and got bronchitis from all the I'm the sure. That's a lot yeah. of blow running around there. And at least they were getting their vitamins, I guess. It's a hell of a way to get your vitamin B12 snorting it up your nose. Margaret Robbie, we are talking about the nude scenes, but as far as her acting, she is a gifted actress. She does a, a really great job of being almost an equal to Leonardo DiCaprio here, who is already a big mm-hmm. established star. And she is doing a great job playing off of him. They have a natural chemistry. And in fact, when she was reading for the part, she had to slap Leonardo DiCaprio 
DiCaprio, and I guess she really hit him hard, and she thought he was going to sue her, but he's like, no, I love the energy. I love what you're bringing to the table. And a lot of other movies I've seen her in, I really like her. Her talent matches her beauty, I think. Mm -hmm. I think she does a really good job. Oh, definitely. She's every bit his equal in this movie, and I haven't seen her in anything that I haven't liked. Yeah, I mean, everything I've seen her in has been just incredible. What you just said about her being an equal here, I think that's almost about the whole cast. And even though Leonardo DiCaprio does a great job, everybody raises their level. The whole cast just brings her A-game, but no one outshines the other. Leonardo DiCaprio has just a bigger part. That's all it is. We just talked about Rob Reiner. He steals every scene that he's in. If he, Even on the videotaping where he's telling him what to do on his wedding night. Or he's answering the phone when he's trying to watch the equalizer. You know, <laughs> there are scene stealers throughout the whole movie, which allows them to be at the same level, I think, as Leonardo DiCaprio. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, it's very subtle, but it's played out very well. Coming from the beginning to the end of the scene, how it turns out, is when Kyle Chandler goes on his yacht and is discussing yeah. with uh, his attorney. You never talk with the FBI. So what does he do? He invites them. He invites right. them over. And it's very interesting how he's just subtly talking with them. And then, you know, by the end of it, throws lobsters at him. Yeah, throws lobsters right. at him and stuff. It's, I, I call it's these very fun cool coupons. Scene. Um, only problem you know, with that is I, it's not real. It never happened. That whole scene yeah, never happened. It didn't happen. But it's but a great you scene. Could have, you totally could have seen him do something mm. exactly like that, though. Kyle Chandler, I'm glad you brought him up. He's one of those people who's under the radar, but he's sneaky good in everything that he does. He can play a bad guy really well, and then he can play a cop really well, mm -hmm. but then he can do the super dramatic thing. I believe he was the brother in Manchester by the Sea. Yes, he was. That's a great movie. Everybody loves the series that was on NBC, the Friday Night Lights series, mm -hmm. and he plays that really well. He's one of those actors that is sneaky good in just about everything that he does. He does a great job yeah. here on the boat when they're mm -hmm. going back and forth with the lines. Yes. He switches from this kind of serious FBI agent to like a joking. And he took the part and kind of brought a lot of different aspects to the character in that one scene. In that one right. scene, he was able to make that character have a lot of different angles, which... Kind of baiting him like he's interested in the yeah. offer, you know? Yeah, and throughout the rest of the movie, he, he really we don't really see that. But in this particular scene on the boat, he's bringing all different type of personalities to give Jordan a false sense of security. I really loved how they played it off against each other. I wish it was real because of how well the scene is. It's amazing how nice he was. And he's like, did you just bribe an FBI agent? And then it just went, yeah. it was just really well done. But I totally agree with you, Ted. I think he's a very under the radar actor. He's the kind of guy you want to play this part. I think he's perfect for this type of role. He elevates whatever role he's in around the main characters. Because it doesn't seem like he ever really is a main character. He was in the Friday Night Lights TV series. He was one of the main characters. But he's always almost secondary character, but part of the main storyline. Yeah. And he always elevates it to the next level. The first movie I ever saw him in, it's a bad movie, but I used to like it when I was younger, was Pure Country with George Strait. I yes, love Pure Country. Yes, he's in that movie, yeah. He played the the roadie right yeah he was trying to become george Strait. right getting busy with uh susan sarandon no it wasn't susan sarandon it was leslie ann warren leslie, leslie ann warren. warren leslie yeah. ann warren george Strait yeah. does oh. an okay job 
but yeah, that's a, yeah. yeah. Tail's a little over the top, but you know, it's obviously <laughs> for the look. Yeah, George so. Strait never had a ponytail. On right. Him. I like the fact that the first wife is grounded, but she's also the reason why he succeeds the first time around. She's the right. one that says you're a stockbroker, not a stock boy. And she does wonder why he's taking money from the poor. That's what I was from... just going to say. She gives him the idea for Stratton Oakmont, essentially, to feed the, the shit to the whales. And I think she does a really good job. I, I wish towards the end of the marriages there, we would have seen a little bit more of what happened. And all of a sudden, it's, she's gone. I and like then, how she catches Jordan and Margot Robbie. The limo. Yeah. Right, in the limo. And, the, yeah. and then his excuse is, well, I thought you were at the beach house. It's like, right, if right, you weren't yeah. at the beach house, it would have been okay. <laughs> and you know he's full of crap. Yeah. He knows he is, too. It's great. All the stuff he says to try to get out of things doesn't make any sense. They're right. all incriminating. It's like, I wouldn't have done this if I knew you would have been here. Wait a second here. That doesn't mean that it makes it right if she wasn't there. He does that for a lot of different situations. In that scene with Donnie where he's wearing the wire and he slips the, the post-it note to Donnie saying, tread lightly. Did he Don't. leave the note there and they found it or did Donnie rat him out? That's a good question. Not sure. That part's true. That's what took him down and what sent him to prison. I don't know how that all happened. Going back to what you were saying, Ken, all of those scenes where he's trying to get himself out of something, those are all of the things that make him endearing to a viewer. And it brings you to let your guard down with this person and to trust this person and laugh along with him and go on that ride with him. Because if he was presented as the guy at the end of the movie, you don't get invested at all because he's a scumbag. He's almost doing like that Dennis the Menace type, I'm trying to get out of things or Eddie Haskell type stuff to get himself out of things. And it opens the viewer up to him. That's part of the brilliant writing and the brilliant directing here. You're allowed to be taken in to this person's world a little bit. He's not a very good liar. He's very no. bad at the lying. So like when he talks about Venice and you said Venice in your sleep. Well, so I said Venice in my sleep. I would just be like, I don't know why I said that. He says, oh, we have a deal with people from Venice, California. It's just a bad lie. I mean, nobody buys it. Even the audience knows that it's not true. Even before they switch over to the candle in the butt and the dominatrix. And he has that safe word. I don't care about your safe word. Yeah. (laughs) You're a dirty little bird. I think it's because we've all got caught in lies. Not as shady as him, but there's something about him that we relate to in some type of way. Right. It brings this man who's living this totally unrelatable life to being relatable. It's really brilliant. We've mentioned all of these characters and all of the different scenes and everything, but I think it's these characters that make this an easy three and a half hours because you don't even know that three and a half hours has went by. I think it's three hours. Or is it three? Or it's it's close. three. It's, it's 180 yeah. minutes. Three and a half. Now you, that might be yeah, that's the, like uh, Irishman type. The Irishman. Yeah. You're right. It does flow. You're Real waiting smooth. for that next great scene because you know there's going to be another just scene where he just goes completely off the edge. And you're almost like, how can he top this? Yeah. Right. It's a real smooth, yeah. easy three hours. And you don't usually say that about a three-hour movie. At some point, you're looking at your watch and you're going, hmm, this and this could have been pared down. But it's a real easy three hours. And it's due in large part to these characters and these actors. They really do an amazing job. The writer of this movie was Terrence Winter, right? Mm-hmm. 
I still think yeah. it could have been trimmed down. I don't think it's an, an impossible three hours to watch, but I could have seen a half an hour trimmed off by removing multiple sex scenes that didn't really need to be there. It was just overkill. And I understand they're trying to sell something here that says, this is how it was in the late 80s, early 90s with these guys. But at the same time, trim the fat off a little bit. I get it. These guys are sexual degenerates. These guys are just degenerates in general. How much more do you need to shove down my throat? You know, no pun so. intended. To me, it all fits. And the reason it all fits is because it is painting a picture. It's painting a picture of what this was. And it's not always a pretty picture that's being put there. Everything's there for a reason. It's like the music of the movie. It's all there for a reason. And everything plays a little bit of a part. If you take something out, it's kind of like playing Jenga at that point. You don't know if it's going to topple things. Even we mentioned the dominatrix and we laughed about that because it's funny. That has to be there because that is Martin Scorsese's way of showing the viewer, even though you know he's lying, showing you he's lying. Just like when Dream Venice is, right? Right. And just like when they're talking about Aerotine technologies, it cuts to a picture of a shed in somebody's backyard. It's the shell game that they're playing. That's where I think it all fits. We'll put it this way. If they didn't do it, if he wanted to tell this story and then didn't go to the lengths that they went. Because if you hear interviews with some of the real-life Stratton Oakmont employees, they say that it didn't go far enough. So if he doesn't go that far, then it's being disingenuous. Then the criticism would be, well, he went up to a certain point, but he really didn't want to put on screen what exactly it was like. A movie maker is threading a thin needle there to go too far or not go far enough. That's why when people criticize movies from the 70s or the early 80s, criticizing these movies for using the N-word or any other sort of inappropriate language, the F-word in reference to gays, if they didn't do that at the time, it would have been disingenuous and it would have been racist at that time because that's not how things were. You're not painting an accurate portrayal. And Spike Lee says, he said that in more than one interview that I've heard him talk about threading this needle as far as, hey, if these guys didn't do this back in the day, that's wrong because that's how people talked. That's so how you're telling me the, the description, the, the meeting they had about the midget throwing contest was inaccurate? It is actually that, inaccurate. It didn't it's, happen. It, you know, they don't, t- don't attack t- you, man. Don't bite you. <laughs> they don't, don't stare at them. Don't stare don't at them. Stare don't at stare at them. Don't make eye <laughs> What the report is is that they talked about throwing them. They never threw them. Uh, but the but meeting is this classic. Then they do this thing from Freaks with a goobble yeah. gobble, goobble gobble. He is one of us. If he doesn't take it to the limit. But how many times do you go ahead and take it to the same limit over and over again? Because there are certain things that are taken to the same limit. And we know they're having sex in the office and on the plane and everywhere in between. And The plane ride is hilarious. Yeah, office hours between. That never happened. Even Jordan said that was just something that Martin threw in. That we never had that rule. I'm not saying that they didn't have sex in the office, but they never had that role from 9 to 7, no sex. But you totally could have seen one of these brokerage houses having that sort of role. Everything in that movie, even if it didn't happen, I'll bet you it happened somewhere. It's somewhere. probably oh, believable somewhere. Like, I don't know if the, you necessarily needed to have a meeting with the bank guy in Switzerland. I think his character is really not needed. All you need to know is... He's the one that ends up taking the whole thing down. He was screwing the guy's wife. And then they say. got Benny 
fucking Hana. When I'm not when... ever going to go to Benny Hana's again. I don't care whose birthday it is. Yeah. <laughs> but three hours is a long time regardless. And some people can get antsy. For a three-hour movie, it does flow very well. But I will say for somebody who's had to watch it multiple times for a podcast, when you get to the second and third watch, you're just kind of like, whoa, how much longer is this film going to be? Did not feel that. This is a movie where I could watch this thing from start to finish and not feel like I'm wasting my time. Like talking with you guys, I'm catching new things. So now I'm going to have to watch it again to watch all some of these new things that we're talking about. I think it all comes from the sex scenes and stuff. But like, okay, when I'm watching the second and third time, I'm no longer shocked because... Yeah, you're numb to it. Because it, it I'm flows. numb to it. So now it right. doesn't feel like that I need to see as much. You and Eric pointed out something to me before I watched it the last time. I never knew that there was a prosthetic dick in the movie from Jonah Hill. Did you rewatch it? Yeah, I watched it the same time. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. He was done with watching it for the podcast. He just had right. to go see the prosthetic. I needed a fresher because it had been a few days since I had watched it. Yeah. I wanted it to be fresh in my mind. But you guys pointed out something, like Eric just said, you guys pointed out something to me that I've probably watched this movie 15 times. <laughs> yeah. And I've, no, I've never noticed it before. I, I'm just not a big fan of three-hour movies. Yeah. No, and that's understandable. I get it. Yeah. But this isn't like other three-hour movies, in my opinion. It flows really well. It's just, I'm not a big fan of three-hour movies either. I think that's usually indulgent and overblown. Like, The Irishman got complaints because it was over three hours. Oh, yeah. It's a phenomenal movie, but people are like, dude, it's three, was it three and a half, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's three and a half or 345. In this era where you binge watch and you pause and you record and you watch it on your own time to sit down and watch a movie all the way through, two hours is pushing it. Mm-hmm. You go over two hours, people are like, you know, looking at their watch or looking at their phone. They're losing interest. And that's too bad. There's... Some of these outtake scenes that we've cut out of movies that were like, you know, these right. would have been really good scenes. And that's why I'm glad that movie makers and directors like Marty and Tarantino have pushed the envelope to keep people engaged past what is now socially normal for the length of a movie. I think the hard part it is also for me with the three hour is that the first two hours and maybe 30 minutes, it's like in a Ferrari. It's going really fast. It's a white Ferrari, not a red Ferrari, by the way. You have almost the exact same complaint as the last time we talked about Goodfellas, you and I. Because it slows and, down to a crawl, and that's what this movie does. You're going really fast. That's what I was saying earlier. Marty has this way of building these people, and you're on this ride. They're going balls to the wall. It's high speed, and then all of a sudden, reality hits, and down it goes. It's, it's basically the story of his life. Right. It's a party, and then the party stopped, and boom, there's the results right. of it. It's, it's, it's him driving the Lamborghini home. What yeah, he exactly what he thought happened and what the reality of it was. Yeah. Two different right. things. I'll agree with you guys. I think it's a well-paced movie. It does slow down at the end, but what are you going to do? You can't go three hours fast, 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 especially mm-hmm. with the subject matter that you have. He has to get his comeuppance. There has to be a toll paid for what is a pound of flesh, so to speak. Consequences for his actions. Right. Yeah. If you look at Henry Hill and Goodfellas, he has to pay the piper, and he gets put in witness protection program. And then you look at what Lefty Rothstein goes through in Casino. Very similar. All of these characters pay that toll. I don't think anybody really does what would be considered a quote-unquote biographical movie. 
I don't know if anybody does it better than Marty. He has a desire to be very detail-oriented. That's why we get these three, three-and-a-half-hour movies. Have you really seen a Scorsese movie that's an hour and a half? No. Maybe early not... on. I think Jeez. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore is like an hour and a half. But that's oh, black and white early on. In our comparisons, I completely forgot about Raging Bull. Yeah. Look at what oh, happens that's... with Jake LaMotta. He ends up paying the price for the decisions that he made, too. I have to appreciate Leonardo DiCaprio's dancing at his wedding, man. That was uh, some... <laughs> Some yeah. cool moves there that they had. He, do, he does good, but Donnie's one finger in the air dance, the middle-aged white man dance, right. is pretty hilarious, though, too. That's yeah, kind of funny. And then you have Joanna Lumley, who plays the uh, Aunt Emma. Yeah. That was a really weird scene, though, where he's talking to her and... Hitting like, on her and vice versa. They both yeah. hit, like, he thinks she's sitting on him and... Then he like goes in for the kiss and stuff kiss? like that. That yeah. almost got a lot more awkward because the person who was supposed to play that role was Julie Andrews. She oh. was supposed to play that role. That would have thrown me through a loop. Throw you for a loop for Julie Andrews? You need to go see SOB. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Blake Edwards, SOB. Julie Andrews, and I'm not encouraging people to watch this movie for this reason, but Julie Andrews shows her breast. Wow. Hills are alive. She plays, she plays a <laughs> actress who is known for her Disney type of characters, kind of like Sound of Music and things of that nature. And she wants to get out of it because her last movie bombed. The guy who played the Swiss banker, he won the Oscar for Best Actor from The Artist. Okay. Oh, the artiste. Oh, right. John mm-hmm. Berthenau character has a lot to do where the directions of this movie actually go to. I mean, he's the guy who sells the pen when nobody else can sell the pen. He gets all mad with the uh, ketchup bottle. He's, you know, trying to get some ketchup. Yeah, he's flipping out. He's flipping right. out. And he's working out in the backyard and he's talking to those guys and selling smack. But for whatever reason, he doesn't want to get into that business with him. He has, I guess, a, his own little lucrative business. Selling quaaludes. Like, he's a drug dealer. Jordan really puts him up on a pedestal. Kind of that special relationship in Brad and Donnie's interactions that also bring this down. They meet at, it's like, it looks like the same strip mall that Jordan went to, to for those penny stocks jobs. Yeah, and, oh yeah. And then of course they get busted by the cops because Donnie wants a uh, apology from Brad because he cold cocked him. Then it just leads to the police busting them. But I don't know what they would have busted them for. He just had a case full uh, of cash. A lot of cash. Got... Is it illegal to have cash and there's no drugs to it be found. is questionable well, if they the cops would never have been interested right. if things hadn't got physical that's what brought the attention but he went because, to prison yeah because he wouldn't talk probably prior offenses and stuff oh i'm sure he yes. was very well known it could have been um, for that because there was no drugs found or no anything at no the no time, no, so. it was no but he probably could have gotten off even with his priors for turning on everybody but he right. didn't turn on anybody speaking of rats how about pj burn as dicky rugrat <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Rugrat. Rugrat. That's great. The hairpiece. Yeah. He's like the smartest guy there because he's actually an actual lawyer. He's right. in school to become a lawyer. And the other ones are like, this guy didn't graduate from high school. This guy took five extra years to graduate from high school. And... Descriptions of them were yeah. really pretty good. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a motley crew of characters. And I guess I wish I would have seen a little bit more of these characters. And only one of the characters actually came from that penny stock place and transferred over to his company the reason that was the case and they really don't go into it in the movie but the investment center got shut down not less than a year after jordan started there because of sec regulations Hmm. (laughs) 
So he was kind of forced to do what he did. He didn't really... Right. He and Donnie at that point weren't going to let that money go because they knew the money was there. They just had to do it different. So they tied themselves to... There's a bank called Oakmont. So they bought out Oakmont eventually, and that's where they came up with Stratton Oakmont. When I look at that fake commercial at the beginning of the movie, with the line that's going all around, yeah. it reminded me of Harris Bank or something Harris like that. Bank, Bank the, of Harris the Lion. Bank in Chicago. Yeah, they still do. It's Hubie. I actually dressed up as Hubie once. Still does on special occasions. <laughs> no, <laughs> they paid me to do that. <laughs> it was work hours. Reminded you of like Merrill Lynch. Oh, with the bull. Uh, Prudential. That's yeah. what like probably that. reminds me more of is Merrill Lynch. Yeah. In fact, they bring up Merrill Lynch in the movie. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah, kind no. of like their competitors. Darn those Merrill Lynch people. At the beginning, at Jordan's job, and that L.F. Rothschild, that was a real brokerage house that went down in 87 with the black monday crash i wonder if people but, like merrill lynch and other institutions like that fed like the fbi and of course know. they did why do you think that goldman sachs has the outsized influence that it has over washington there's always somebody getting rich off of somebody's demise a lot of the people that work at those brokerage houses Bush administration is guilty of this one, too. They All get nominated are. in cabinet positions, and they get nominated in certain areas. Alan Greenspan survived yeah. how many presidents? Exactly. I got a question so. here, because this movie kind of reminds me, because there's a lot of similarities to it, of Wall Street. What are your thoughts between the two movies? Because these are two movies that are Oscar-nominated films mm -hmm. that had Michael Douglas won Best Actor for Wall Street. Gordon, Gordon Gekko's an all-time character. Greed is good. I believe he was based off of Michael Milken, the inside trader guy from the mid-'80s. These are really accurate portrayals. And it's funny that you bring up Wall Street because another movie that's loosely based off of Jordan Belfort, I know, Eric, you had brought up Glengarry Glenn Ross, Mm -hmm. There's elements of that movie in the movie I'm going to talk about, and that's a boiler room. Yes. With Giovanni Ribisi and Ben yeah. Affleck and Vin Diesel, when Vin Diesel is still worried about acting. That movie is loosely based off of Jordan Belfort. And of course, in that movie, all the main characters recite from heart the Gordon Gecko speech. It's amazing. I love the movie Wall Street, too. I haven't seen the recent addition to that franchise, but it's as accurate a portrayal as there can be. It brings to light a lot of what the underbelly of this machine that fuels the economy and how it's kind of a house of cards. It's all smoke and mirrors, man. Don't forget Inside Job. That movie's magnificent, too. There's a movie called, I don't know if you've ever seen it, I don't know if it's in theaters, it might have went to DVD called Margin Call. Margin Call and, is phenomenal, um, Demi Moore. And, of course, there's The Big Short. Right. The Short. I was just about to mention. Big I Short, Big Short. amazing mm -hmm. movie. The so, accurate movie, I might add. Adam McKay is yeah. awesome on so yeah. many levels. That movie is one I hope we get to do soon basis of these movies is it doesn't matter what you do how you do it as long as you make money and it's all for you and you live your life and it's then, all for you damien it's all for you damien and then they They're all crash to... every one of those movies has a crash at the end mm -hmm. oh, one way or another and, no pun intended and, so. and interestingly enough the real life things that, that they're compared to all had a crash associated with them as well 
The only thing I would bring up is the yacht and driving through the big storm. Okay, that was a and little, how, yeah. And how yeah. accurate that was? That boat actually did sink? The plane itself did not happen. It crashed. For, it crashed, but it did not happen for another week after that. They were not as still. Close, uh, closely related to each other as it says in the movie. It's for still time freaky. Purposes. Did they actually go down and try to get the loots because they didn't want to die sober? I mean, I haven't yeah. been able to find out if the quaaludes are almost like another character in this movie. Yes, oh, yeah, no definitely. They really are. It's almost like a whole a driven character. Oh, you losing coke, baby. We even talk about how he met Naomi you know, at the party and how the boyfriend right there is like, how many times are you going to ask her if she has ever... Oh, know, I wanted to... You wanted to punch yeah. See, right? that's one of those cases where you should feel bad for that guy, <laughs> but by that point, you're so invested into Jordan, that guy comes off as a complete jerk. He, he does. was. He, does. he was. Yeah. He knew it was going oh, on. Dinner, and she asked for a straw. She's drinking wine, I think, through... Right, something like that, yeah. That seems like something that somebody from Long Island would do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's very stereotypical. I want to be your friend. You want to be my friend? We're not going to be friends. You can't be my friend. (laughs) Ken, let's start with you on your uh, review. What did you think of the movie? So this is another tough movie for me with The Wolf of Wall Street because there's part of me that really, really likes this movie because the performances are great. The energy from all the actors just keeps this movie moving along. I appreciate these small characters. They're put in the right times to kind of keep everything going so you don't get bored with the Jordan character. Jonah Hill does a great job here. Rob Reiner. This is probably my favorite acting that he's done, even on top of On the Family. I just love the fact that he goes from worrying up a storm because he's going to miss the equalizer to going to an English accent on the phone. And he's like, cheerio. But that's what these characters do. Matthew McConaughey, over the top, but not over the top. It doesn't feel like it's too much. It feels like it's just the right amount. And I think that's what about these characters. You want more, but at the same time, you appreciate the time frame that they've been given here. And it's the perfect amount of time frame that they're actually given. I'm kind of built in a way where too much nudity, too much swearing, too much of one particular thing can really get on my nerves a little bit. And that unfortunately happens here. I'm not against having nudity in the movie, and I'm for having a nudity up to a certain point in this movie, but I think it was overkill. Does it ruin the movie for me? No. I think it's a well-made film. This reminds me a little bit of Taxi Driver in the sense that it's not my kind of movie, but it's a really well-made movie. It's not as well-made as Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is, to me, is becoming just an amazing flick as far as how it was made. This movie isn't a step below that, but it's still made very, very well. And unfortunately, and I hate to give this grade, but this is how I feel. It's a B minus. Again, if it was based on just how well it's made, it's an A. But based on the fact of what I like and what I want to see in a movie, unfortunately, the nudity and the subject matter itself, for me, it's just uncomfortable for me to watch. When I watched it the first time at Ted's house, kind of like, I like it, but I don't know if I should type of feeling. And I still have that feeling. I have the wife in the in the other room and she's hearing the movie. She's not even watching the movie and she's disturbed at what she's hearing. So it is hard for me. And I usually buy every single movie that I review for this podcast. This is one movie that I didn't. So unfortunately, it remains a B minus. Well, I know what I'm getting, Ken, for Christmas this exactly. year. Oh, yeah. Movie posters, Blu-rays, everything. Yep. I'll go into my review and we'll end it with Ted's. My review is a little different than Ken's. This movie, I hadn't seen this movie in quite some time. I got to tell you, I loved it. 
dare I say this, not my favorite Martin Scorsese movie, and I actually enjoyed it more than Taxi Driver. That's hard to say. Watch this movie twice, all the way through, and then bits and pieces. So you're like six hours in, give or take, plus the bits and pieces. And every time I watch this movie, it was never a dull moment. It was just an incredible array of characters. Everyone in this movie did a phenomenal job. I couldn't find really anything wrong with any of the acting scenes, the small bit scenes, the large scenes. Everything in this thing just flowed beautifully. The comic relief was great. Yeah, the nudity was a little strong. Language is a little strong. But you know what? I'm a big boy. I can take it. We'll push through it. I think in this movie, it was over the top, but it wasn't like forced on you. You know how in some movies, like some of those slasher films and movies like that, where they're just throwing forced, you know, nudity and stuff on you, where you're like, okay, come on, seriously. But in this one, when it came to the subject matter of this era of this type of industry, it was kind of interesting to see the reactions of all the characters as they're going through all this, and they just don't care. They're just going through life. I'm amazed none of them died, to be honest with you. This is an incredible movie. Very few negative things I can say about this movie. The length is probably the only thing I could say. You could probably trim it down a little bit, and it would still have the same effect, but it doesn't do anything harsh to it. You do have to go in knowing that, yeah, there's a lot of nudity, there's a lot of language, there's a lot of offensive actions across the board with animals and people and midgets and just everything. And if you know that and you accept it and you move forward on it, you're cool. If you're squeamish, don't watch it. But for me, this is a A-. Ted, how about you? I can't be disingenuous. I think it's pretty known how I kind of feel. I mean, earlier in the podcast, I kind of gave away how I felt about the movie. This movie is just wonderful. The reason you like it more than Taxi Driver, Eric, is because this is more of a happy movie, where that's definitely not a happy movie. It's also generational. Taxi Driver's done in 76. You're going to relate more to a movie that's done in this era, but Um, you're right. Yeah, there is really no happy scenes in Taxi Driver. Yeah, no, nobody's happy. The writing of this movie was amazing. We didn't really praise Terrence Winter enough for how wonderfully written this movie was. To make all of these characters, even though, like we've said, that they're brief, Ken had mentioned that he wished he had more time with them. That's a testament to the writer, because he, in a short period of time, he made each of these characters feel real and feel like that there was substance there and that these characters were worthy of spending your time with them. And that's a hard thing to do when you have a this large of a cast uh, to make all of these characters so really interesting. The way he directs this movie, like I said, I don't know if there's another director out there that does this quote-unquote biographical type of movie that does it better. He captures somebody's life like nobody else. In every one of these movies, and then he does it in The Wolf of Wall Street too. at the end, he holds up the mirror, and that character is forced to look at themselves in the mirror. And so you get that where they have that moment of, wow, what have I really done? That's innately satisfying, too. As far as the acting, I don't know how much more you could really say. It is definitely worthy of all of the acclaim and all of the awards and everything that it's been given. It's wonderful. And the three-hour time, I understand that. But like I said earlier, too, it's an easy three hours. It's not a hard three hours. Whereas some movies are two hours, and it feels like it's four. This isn't one of those cases. This is a really well-paced movie. 
So when you put all this together, it really hits a lot of high notes. The final grade that I'm going to end up giving it is going to be an A. The nudity and the language, none of that has ever really affected me. Unless the movie's bad. Then it's egregious because the movie's bad. But if the movie's good, those things don't matter to me. I think we can all recommend it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm. if, if you haven't seen the movie, come on now. This is one that you got to go see. Just be warned. There's a warning label on this. You've been adequately warned, and guess what? If you're over the age of 18, you'll deal with it. So, next movie we're going to be doing, we're going to call this a bonus, fifth and final. All the movies that we're doing, we decided that four wasn't enough for our directors, and so we're giving you all a fifth movie from each director that we have done so far this season. Woohoo! What movie are you choosing for us, Eric? And this being my director, I get to pick that fifth movie, and I had to think about this one for a while, because as you know, originally, Mr. Scorsese does a lot of mob movies, so we're going to hold off on those for right now. There's a lot of choices here. I was on the fence. There's a lot of themes, but I thought if we continue the tradition and we just keep rolling on with some of the movies that kind of don't fit the norm, if you will, uh, we're going to go with uh, 2010's Shutter Island. Also starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Looking forward to that. Sounds good. All right, gentlemen, where can they find us on the World Wide Web there for the movie Marquee? Well, we can be found on Twitter at the movie underscore Marquee with two E's. We can also be found on Facebook, the movie Marquee. We have a nice little community there. One of our last questions, what was the last movie that you saw in the theaters before COVID? And then what have you seen since COVID? Which we're still in COVID, but since the theaters have been back up. And I put down 1917. And actually, a couple of people put down 1917 as well as a movie they saw before COVID shut theaters down. And we also had Knives Out. I'm I saw in that, that category in, with Knives Out. Yeah. saw that movie with Eric, actually, in mm-hmm. the theater. Yeah. Bloodshot was a movie I had, I had not even heard of. And Sonic the Hedgehog and Underwater. So those are just some of the answers that we got from that question. Feel free to join us on the Facebook page. And the questions are not just asked by us. They're asked also by our community. So feel free to jump on, ask some questions. Please make it movie-related. No politics, no religion, and no recipes. No, have we had to recipes. kick somebody off for their recipes? <laughs> wow, that's I harsh. guess if you have a really good recipe for a, uh, that's harsh. a fried yeah, chicken. If you, good, if you have a good recipe, share the recipe. I'm always like, <laughs> yeah. come on. Stuff to eat. Don't be... So. Recipe hating, Ken. What Jeez. a hater you are! I'm man. a recipe yeah. shamer. I shame. Yeah. The rest of the yeah. stuff you can go find that on Facebook elsewhere, not on our page. Thank you once again for joining us. We'll see you at the movies. Thank you for stopping by at the movie marquee. Mm-hmm.